Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. I'm reading now from the NASB 95 translation of the Bible, and I'll remind you that this is God's word. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Father, I pray and we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive and believe and obey your word. We thank you for it. It is our food that we desire that sustains us. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. The Lord has brought us safely thus far to the last Lord's Day of 2023. And it is only because of God's faithfulness. It's not because of anything that we have done, for sure. We're going to sing that hymn at the end of our service today, Great is Thy Faithfulness. I want to plant that in your mind now. God is faithful. When I learned that I was scheduled to preach on this last Sunday of the year, New Year's Eve, I thought about what to preach. It can be one of the more difficult tasks of preaching to select a sermon text that doesn't belong to a series, that is independent. Develop in one message the context of that passage and make it helpful to God's people in a particular moment of in-between. That's just a sanctified way of saying there's only so many New Year's-themed sermon texts to be preached in the Bible. And there are only so many that we can handle as a people year over year. I knew that our children would be remaining with us to hear the sermon. Children, I'm glad that you're here. I I pray that you're listening and will pay attention to what you will hear and see later in the service today, how impactful it is to see the testimony of a believer through baptism. So I thought, what about baptism? Baptism is a visual illustration of the gospel that we believe, the gospel that makes us new. Baptism, the Bible says, is a means of Christians walking in newness of life. That phrase came to my mind, newness of life. And I suggested that we have a service of baptisms today. I suggest that we hear and witness the gospel work of God's grace, doing what only God can do, making something and someone truly new. Newness of life. Only God makes life new, different, better. Brother Dan Miners helped me with this profound insight. He said that we live in a culture that wants everything new. Is that true of you? You want everything new. He said that 
We even reach back into things that are really old, but we think they are new because they are new to us. But they're still old. They're not truly new. Often we lament when we get something new because it doesn't stay new for long. The newness wears off and it grows old very quickly. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9, that which has been is that which will be. And that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. We look for new but can't find it when we look under the sun, no matter how hard we look. Let that be a dose of reality for whoever and whatever we want to try doing differently starting tomorrow. If it belongs under the sun, that is, if it's an earthly endeavor, then whatever it is, it's not new, and the newness won't last. So how do we find something new, something new that lasts? Such things exist only with God. Brothers and sisters, if we follow Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit and labor for the kingdom of God, then we will find what is new because God is making all things new. John MacArthur compiled a list of several new things God and God alone gives. God gives a new heart, a new spirit, a new song, a new name. Think of it, every morning it is God's mercies that are new. New is a concept that belongs to God. And what better way to see this illustrated than through the waters of baptism? What better time is there for us all to remember our own baptisms, what they meant and what they mean for the work God did and God is doing? through Jesus Christ, to give us a new, glorious, victorious life that never grows old. I want this message to serve as a charge to our baptism candidates today, to Mitchell, to Cash, to Rebecca, and to Addison, that this is what your baptism means for your life going forward. Baptism is very significant for your newness of life with God. At the same time, I exhort us all to remember our own baptisms with praise for the new life in Christ we forever enjoy. Let's be reminded together of what newness of life also requires of us. And if there be any among us who have yet to experience baptism. May this message compel you to answer before God, why? What is hindering or preventing you from being baptized? This text, Romans chapter six, verses one through four, begins with the subject of God's grace, then speaks to the Christian's way of life and teaches about baptism as a means of newness in Jesus. Verse one, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? This verse begins with the subject of grace. 
We Christians love grace, don't we? We sang about it this morning in our opening song. This is amazing grace. We believe and teach doctrines of grace. What is grace? Grace is the kindness that God freely gives without merit. That means we do not earn grace. Instead, God freely gives grace to us who don't deserve it. We are sinners and do not deserve grace. But the Bible says, Romans chapter 5, verse 20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That means no matter how much we've sinned or how greatly we've sinned, God's grace is greater than our sin. But does that mean then that the way to get more grace is for us to sin more? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? This may seem like an imaginary argument, but is it that? Think with me. What kind of person is invited to give their testimony of salvation at a big church event? Is it the person that grew up in a Christian home, that was taught the ways of the Lord, that came to faith at a young age and was spared a life of opposing God and all the horrible consequences associated with that? Is that the person that we invite? Not normally. It's not viewed as exciting. So we prefer the heavier testimonies for those events, don't we? Testimonies like that of the Apostle Paul, who considered himself to be the chief of sinners, who ravaged the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, putting them in prison, who persecuted the way to death. We want the stories of those who have sinned much because that shows how great and abounding the grace of God is. It's the same way of thinking at work in Romans chapter six, verse one. It's really not that foreign to us. I remember when I was in the seventh grade at a discipleship weekend with our church, we were going around the room, as a bunch of seventh graders guided by our leader and each one of us was asked to give our testimony of coming to faith in Jesus. One after one, a testimony was given. When my turn came, I said something like, I don't have much of a story to tell. I came to faith at a young age. And I said something like, my testimony isn't very exciting. I wasn't prepared for what came next because the leader of our group at the time got very serious, and he rebuked me strongly and also lovingly and said, your testimony is exciting. Every testimony of salvation is exciting that tells of God's grace towards sinners, amen. You see, we all are saved by the same grace. It's about where that grace came from, not by the amount of it. It's God's grace for sinners who do not deserve it. To our baptism candidates today, your testimonies are exciting. And we rejoice in your testimonies. 
And we are encouraged by your testimonies because they are not about you. They are about God, ultimately, and his grace toward you. It is true that as sin increases, grace abounds all the more. But it is wrong to believe that the way to increase grace in a believer's life is to sin more and more and more, or to remain in habits of sin, or to remain in lifestyles of sin. That is not the way to more grace. That is the way to condemnation and to willfully sin and remain in sin is to indicate that you are not saved by the true gospel at all. Christians forsake sinful habits. Christians say no to sin. Children, I tried to make this very simple. If you would like to take notes, you can write this down. Christians say no to sin. As we are preparing for this new year, we should ask, are sinful patterns coming with us into 2024 with all their accompanying excuses? By the grace of God, forsake those sins at the door. Sin has no power over us in Jesus. Sin no longer reigns in a Christian's life. Christians say no to sin. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Christians say no to sin. May it never be this way. This is a strong rejection of the thought of continuing sinful habits for the purpose of increasing in grace. That is a distortion of the gospel and a distortion of grace. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? This question reveals the truth about a Christian's way of life by explaining a Christian's way to life. A Christian's way of life is to live for God, opposing sin. A Christian's way to life is through death. Our old, sinful person with its cold, stony, unbelieving heart must be put to death in order for us to live unto God. And this is the key truth worked out in this passage. Christians say no to sin, and Christians have died to sin. Christians have died to sin. This speaks to a Christian's identity. A Christian is dead to sin. So what does it mean that we died to sin? Death means separation. Kenneth West says that physical death is the separation of a person from the body. Spiritual death is the separation of a person from God. Death means separation. A Christian then is separated from sin. The book of Romans is addressed in the opening chapter to those who are beloved of God 
who are called saints. That word saints is holy ones. It speaks of separation from what is sinful and profane. This is who this chapter, chapter six, is addressing. Every time the word we is in our text, the we is the beloved of God, the saints, those who are dead to sin. This does not mean that a Christian is no longer capable of sinning, however. To our baptism candidates, your profession of faith is a confession that you are dead to sin and alive to God. You are separated from sin and no longer live in it. But understand this, this does not mean that you will never be tempted to sin or that you cannot sin. Your baptism today is not about washing away the possibility of ever sinning again. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. We are washed, but we are also at war with the flesh. We have not yet received our new glorified bodies that is yet to be and promised of God. And so you will be tempted and you will struggle with sin. That does not mean your salvation or your baptism is meaningless. Rather, remember the gospel truth that you have died to sin when those times come. You are no longer under sin's ruling power. You may confess your sin and be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Know this. God will not let you remain in your sin. The Holy Spirit of God will convict you and the Father who loves you will discipline you and sanctify you so that you will come to hate sin for the evil that it is. Verse two, again, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? So how does a Christian die to sin? The answer, as James Montgomery Boyce points out, is to look to Jesus and ask, how did Jesus die to sin? How did Jesus die to sin? Romans chapter six, verse 10 says, for the death that he died, speaking of Jesus, he died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus died to sin once for all. This is speaking of the cross. Jesus died by suffering for the penalty of sin. And he did that on the cross. He knew no sin, but became sin for us on that cross. And paid the debt that sinners owed giving his perfect life in exchange for our profane lives. Jesus died to sin once for all, and he will never die to sin again. His one death on the cross was sufficient to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. And because Jesus died to sin once, we die to sin once, because his death was for us, and his death is our death, death to sin. And in Jesus, we never return to our old selves again. 
As Leon Morris says, this is the end of the reign of sin and the beginning of the reign of grace. This leads now to the subject of baptism. Verse three, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? The Bible now speaks of something Christians should have known and that Christians should know. That is what is meant by the phrase, or do you not know? This question should never have been asked. This question should never have had a need to be answered. Why should this question have never been asked? Why should Christians have a crystal clear understanding of their way of life being a separation from sin? And the answer the Bible gives is baptism. Christians say no to sin. Christians have died to sin. And thirdly, Christians have been baptized. Christians have been baptized. The Bible assumes that a Christian has been baptized. It might be asked what is meant by baptism in this text. That's a bit of a study you can go down if you want further study on the various interpretations. Is this water baptism referred to in Romans 6? Is this a baptism of the Holy Spirit? Is this using baptism in a way that speaks of the gospel? Or is it some mixture of all or some of these ideas? I'm inclined to agree with those who say that baptism refers to water baptism unless another kind of baptism is clearly specified. Water baptism, along with going and teaching, is commanded by Jesus for making disciples. You know the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Here it is, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Those are the words of our Lord, commanding baptism. It is unthinkable to the Bible that a Christian would be content with not obeying such a foundational and initial command for a life of discipleship. And so we recognize today and celebrate what a meaningful step of faith and obedience this is of our baptism candidates. To enter the waters of baptism, entering a life of discipleship as Jesus commanded. Now, it appears evident that not all Christians are baptized. Notice the text, how it says in verse three, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, in the Greek, it renders this way, that any of us who have been baptized, not all of us have been baptized. That's a fact. And if that is you, this text compels you to answer the question, am I missing something? Now, I want to be very clear on this point. Baptism does not save a person. We are saved by grace, through faith alone, not of works, including the waters of baptism. 
That is why we ask our baptism candidates if they profess faith in Christ alone for salvation as Lord and Savior. Baptism has no part in your regeneration, that is your salvation, but it has every bit of part in your recognition of what God has worked for you in Jesus. Are you missing something if you have not been baptized? Here are four things baptism recognizes. And I ask our baptism candidates to especially pay attention, but for all of us to remember as well. Verse three, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? First, baptism recognizes that we have been united with Jesus Christ. We have been baptized into Christ Jesus. It doesn't say we've been baptized into water. It doesn't say we've been baptized into the Spirit. Here it says we have been baptized into Christ Jesus. The event of water baptism represents the spiritual reality of baptism, whereby we become members of Christ's body, the church. We have identified with Jesus Christ. We are united with Jesus Christ. We are Christians. To enter the baptismal waters means that you believe in Jesus and you have a Christian testimony that points to God's grace. Second, baptism recognizes that we have been united with the death of Jesus. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Jesus died to sin and we are united with Jesus, so his death to sin becomes our death to sin. Adrian Rogers says it this way, when Jesus Christ died, not only did he die for us, but we also died with him. When Jesus Christ died, not only did he die for us, but we also died with him. That's a glorious truth. To enter the baptismal waters means we have repented of sin. It means turned away from sin. We've separated from sin and no longer live in sin. This is the high, highlighted by the third meaning. Baptism recognizes that we have been united with Jesus' burial. Verse four of our text says, therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. This is why in baptism, a person will go under the water. That represents uniting with Jesus's burial. The burial is an important and sometimes overlooked or glossed over part of the gospel message. As James Montgomery Boyce says, the burial puts a deceased person out of this world permanently. We don't accept Christian zombies, dead to sin, but walking around living in it. No. Baptism unites us with this truth, with Jesus' burial, in which his body was placed in the tomb that was sealed. The old self really does 
die. That's what the burial means. And it's put away for good. This burial is part of God's process for ultimately making something new. Truly new. Lastly, baptism recognizes that we have been united with Jesus' resurrection. Verse four again, therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. What God makes of us is a matter of new creation, a new life, a new way of existing unlike anything that we have known before. Baptism proclaims the gospel of Jesus who is the Christ, the Son of God, and proclaims his work, his death, burial, and resurrection. As you plunge into the waters of baptism, you are then raised out, for God raised Jesus to life by his glorious power, and God raises you as a new creature to live a glorious powerful, victorious new life as well. This is the charge to our four baptism candidates. By the grace of God, you are to walk, you are to live in this newness of life. Going forward, this is your life. It is new life, eternal life that never grows old or stale. And this newness is different and also better than your life before. It is a life with God, a gift of grace. And for us, it presents a gospel responsibility to live accordingly. For all of us, as we press on into a new year, we are exhorted to remember our baptisms and live in the newness of life graciously given to us and sustaining us, a life that is dead to sin but alive to God. Christians are a unique person. We're dead and yet at the same time alive. We're dead to sin, but alive to God. Lastly, for any who have yet to be baptized, I ask you the same questions again. Are you missing something? And what is preventing or what is hindering you from being baptized? Through baptism, we were buried with Jesus into death so that his glorious resurrection becomes the basis of our new and better lives of victory over sin, death, and the grave. In the name of Jesus, amen. I thank God and I hope you will rejoice with me in thanking God for our baptism candidates as they are about to come now and share testimonies of God's saving grace and enter into the waters of baptism. As they prepare and come now, would you join me in prayer? Our Father, we ask by your Holy Spirit that you would take your word that has been read and proclaimed and that it would enliven us, that it would bring forth faith in us I pray that we would remember the glorious grace that baptism reminds us of, the gospel 
of Jesus Christ for us. I pray for Mitchell, for Cash, for Rebecca, and for Addison. I pray that you would give them strength and power to share their testimonies with us that we will hear gladly. I pray that this would be a very memorable moment in their lives. Help them to walk in newness of life. Help us to walk in newness of life. Thank you for your grace. Amen.